Her husband is a career police sergeant and member of the department's SWAT team. He was shot multiple times on a SWAT callout and left with devastating lifelong injuries. And now they fight a daily struggle to find their new normal and may have to fight their agency for retirement. Welcome to the Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. For the latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. The place to be online is our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. You'll get access to unique news articles, editorials, and so much more. That's Law Enforcement Today Radio Show on Facebook. Calling us from Oklahoma, Jonna Schoolfield on the phone. Jonna's husband, a career police sergeant, was also a member of the department SWAT team and was shot multiple times on a SWAT callout and barely survived. And she's here to talk about the story and her struggle to find their new normal. Jonna, thanks so much for joining us today. Very much appreciated. Thank you. We had your husband on the show uh, several weeks ago. Dynamite interview, by the way. This is an incident where, quite honestly, it could have been much worse news. This is the type of incident where when people get shot the way he was shot with the kind of weapon he was shot with, quite quite often they don't survive. Oh, no, definitely. That is very true. I'm so it's glad you're here. I'm glad he survived. I know that you guys have had a tremendous struggle ever since then. We'll talk about some more of that. Before we get into details of where you're at today, is it safe to say that you and your husband, even though he's severely injured in the line of duty, has devastating lifelong injuries that you are in a position where you're kind of in limbo. He's not in a police department. He's not fired. He's not retired. That is absolutely correct. We're left in limbo of not knowing what the next step is going to be. And you don't know in all reality whether he's going to get a pension or he's going to be fired. Correct. And that's something that happens, sadly, all across the United States. Big agencies, small agencies, the size doesn't matter. Sheriff's departments... A man or woman could go to work, do their job, do the best of their ability, be on 15, 18, 19 years, be severely injured, and some have been fired before they've even had a chance to get in front of a retirement board, and that's a possibility for you guys. That is absolutely correct. Let's talk about the incident where your husband was um, shot and severely injured. Take us to that day. Well, that day, he had only been home for a couple of days from returning with the National Guard of helping with Hurricane Harvey. So he had came home that morning around, oh, 6.30 from being at work that night. It was on a Saturday night that he'd came home. Or, yeah, Saturday he went to work. And Sunday morning at 6.30, he came home. Of course, he was asleep, so I got up did my normal things of taking care of the kids and everything, making sure breakfast was taken care of. And he actually missed the call-out phone call. I got it instead because it was my brother who called wanting to get a hold of Matthew. And 
Next thing I knew, I hurried up and got home and woke him up and told him he had to go on a call out. And let's just say probably about 10, 1030 was the last time I saw my husband rolling out the driveway that morning. And we say it's call out. This was he's a member of SWAT team. And so they're subject to call any time of day or night. Didn't matter whether they got off work an hour ago or were heading to work in an hour. That is absolutely correct. And this was a a barricade situation, what turned into a barricade situation with someone who was wanted for violent sex crimes. Am I correct? Something to do with that, yes. So it wasn't some mamby-pamby call. They knew this is the real deal and this could be a bad situation as soon as he got the phone call and was made aware that you got to go. And when he did, he did what so many police do. He just went. Correct. And that's the last time you saw him in the condition he was before the incident. That is absolutely correct. That's the last time I saw my husband physically have two hands that work and physically no scars, no nothing. When you say two hands at work, one of his arms is severely injured and has very limited use of it, correct? Correct. Tell us about how he was hurt. What happened as far as you know? He took one round to the lower forearm. It was a 308 round that blew out the whole back part of his arm. One round went through his helmet and went down the side of his face and exited his ear. The other round uh, went to the like lower part of his armpit and was a through and through and just took a massive amount of tissue out, and that was it. This bulletproof vest that he had on stopped possibly another two to three rounds. So he's very, very fortunate to be alive. Correct. And a 308, I'm not, I'm not a hunter. And even though I'm a retired police, I'm not a big gun guy. I don't know a lot about guns and ballistics. I just know a 308 is a no-nonsense caliber rifle. That's a heavy-duty piece of equipment. Yes. Um, I'm a female, so I don't know too much about weapons, but I know that was a big bullet. I bet you know more about them than I do. I'll let just go that way. I, <laughs> I know a 308 is what a lot of people who are hunters use, and it's uh, because it's a large caliber round, high velocity, and it has the ability to do a lot of damage. So when you say his arm was blown out, basically it was almost, from what I understand, almost amputated. Correct. Um, the night that we got there to the ER at OU Medical Center in Oklahoma City, they told me it was going to be a touch and go throughout the night to hopefully make sure that his blood flow continued because he did lose one of his main arteries in his arm and that they were hoping they wouldn't have to amputate and luckily we didn't have to. And you said one of the rounds went through his Kevlar helmet through the ear hole and uh, created some damage with his his side of his head and his his ear? Correct. Um, That night they also sewed that back up. There is, you can tell there is scars um, there is a notch taken out of his ear from that it was missing. They couldn't find that piece, but they sewed it up that night. But he did have basically what's called vertigo and still kind of does every once in a while and has a lot of pressure issues with his ear. Is there a possibility of TBI, traumatic brain injury, as a result of that? No. Okay, that's fortunate as well. I'm no expert in that either, but let, let's talk about how you were notified. When did you become aware that there was a problem? The lieutenant that was on scene, matter of fact, his lieutenant, who basically pulled him behind the car and put on a tourniquet, came to the house 
and knocked on the door. And what was your first reaction when you go to the door? You said it was a Sunday and you weren't expecting anything and all of a sudden there's police outside. Correct. Um, being a military wife also, you kind of get filled in on deployments and stuff about the knock at the door. And all of a sudden there was a knock. Me and my son were helping my stepdaughter's mother move some things back to her house and we kind of stopped and looked at each other like who's at the door and I walked to the door and opened it when I saw lieutenant standing there and kind of just backed up because I knew immediately something was wrong he opened was your first thought um, uh, my husband's dead or what was the first thought that entered your mind at that point I just didn't know so I don't ever assume anything I just knew something was wrong and what did he say he looked at me and said, he's been shot, he's alive, but we got to go. And I just kind of stood there for a minute, dazed and confused, of thinking, what? What did I just hear you say? And he yelled my name at me and was like, we've got to go. And immediately I went into gear of picking up, you know, I had to go get my purse. Last thing I knew, I thought it was in Matthew's truck, so I went out, grabbed his keys, to the truck don't know why I did went out looked and it wasn't in there so I just grabbed what I could and jumped in the police car and left did you guys go right to the hospital or did you go somewhere else first no we actually made it to the location where the ambulance was and the bird the helicopter was coming in to pick him up so I made it to the ambulance before they got there and how bad of a shape was your husband Matthew in when you got there the amount of blood that I've seen is something that no wife should ever have to see. There was large amounts of blood. Um, at first, I didn't know his arm was in such bad shape because I couldn't see it. It was in a box. Dylan was covered. And all I saw was the ear. The ear was very bad. It was blown to smitties. On that note, we're going to take a short break. We are talking with John at Schoolfield. Her husband, Matthew Schoolfield, police sergeant, member of SWAT team, was shot and severely injured. Their battles consisted of recovering from the gunshot wounds, finding the new normal, and now having to fight the agency to find out whether he gets retirement. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. Welcome to the Harmony with Food radio show. I am your host, Meg Marie O'Rourke. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I am a nutritionist for longer than I'd like to admit on the radio. Join my guests and I as we discuss how to live in harmony with food from gut health issues, food sensitivities, food intolerances, and the comorbidities of obesity. Being your own healthcare advocate is achievable, and so is living in harmony with food. For the latest nutrition information blogs, check out my website, harmonywithfood.com. One of the most frequent questions we see is, where can I find great podcasts? Do you have any suggestions? Yes, we do. So we decided to start our own podcast network on Law Enforcement Today. That's right. You can find top podcasts about law enforcement on our website and our free app. Go to letradioshow.com, click the Be Heard tab, and there you'll find the LET Podcast Network. We'll be adding more podcasts from first responders and more. Again, to find the Law Enforcement Today podcast network, go to letradioshow.com and click on the Be Heard in our menu. 
or download our free app today at letradioshow.com. Back to our conversation with Jonna Schoolfield calling us from Oklahoma. We're talking about the, the incident where your husband, Matthew, Sergeant Matthew Schoolfield, was shot multiple times with a 308 rifle on a SWAT call out. Before we went to break, Jonna, you talked about making it to the scene of the incident or not far from there where the ambulance was waiting for the helicopter to arrive. It had to have been like a real gut shot for you seeing him in that kind of condition. Were you fearful that he may not survive? Well, at that point, you kind of, once again, coming from the law enforcement, Matthew has always taught you to stay calm until you know for sure what's happening. So it's kind of like I knew also with my mother-in-law being on the way and having to call her and let her know that her son was shot and, you know, and keeping my wits for her because a couple of months before we had lost my father-in-law, you know, and that Matthew's all she has left. It was kind of, I had knew I had to keep calm, not just for her, but for my kids. Life goes on. That's something we hear, and I'm not saying it to be nonchalant. Uh, something I've heard from many survivors who lost loved ones in line of duty that they they couldn't just fall apart because they were spouses and they had children and they had to take care of their children. They still had to run the household and deal with the whole process of where they went from there. And compounding your situation, you've got the the process, your husband's severely injured, you've got the family, you've got the kids, you've got all responsibilities, and then it's waiting to find out how bad was his health? Was he in critical condition? Yes. At first, he was very much critical condition, not just because of the damage that was done, but the amount of blood loss he had. And what were the extent of his injuries at that point? At that point, he was placed in ICU underneath, you know, critical condition, didn't know if his arm would make it through the night. They had to constantly come in and check to keep making sure there was a pulse. Um, there was an external fixator that had been applied that night during surgery that basically held the two pieces of his arm together and held it in place until they could get in and get everything cleaned out and debriefment done to clean all the fragments out. So apparently sometime within the first 24 to 48 hours, you find out the good news, he's going to survive. The bad news is you didn't understand whether he'd lose his arm or to what capacity his arm function will return. Yeah, I didn't know until it was probably that next morning I was in his ICU room washing my hands and the trauma team doctor was in talking with Matt and all of a sudden I hear him giving my phone number to the doctor because he had pictures and I turn around and I'm like, well, wait a minute, what are you sending to my phone? And the doctor was like, this is your phone number. Well, are you okay with, you know, gore and stuff? And I'm like, yeah, it's fine. So, yeah, I didn't necessarily know the extent of the damage to his arm until I received the pictures from the doctor. So you're okay with the gore. I'm not. I would have been, oh, weak in the knees. I couldn't handle it. So oh, no. I don't, okay. know he, I don't know where you come up with that kind of fortitude from. But you found out at that point he was going to survive. So that must have been some sense of relief for you. But... Did you have any idea or inkling of how bad the injuries were and how many surgeries and how long it was going to take to try to rehabilitate and get whatever kind of use you could out of it, he could out of no, it? 
not until after it was one of his earlier surgeries, like maybe the second or third one, they came out and the doctor told me that he said, I'm going to prepare you. You're looking at a long, hard two years worth of therapy and surgeries and rehabilitation. And I said, okay. So you're looking at two years and about how many surgeries today? Either nine or ten, roughly, that we've had. And this is on top of still being a mom, still trying to work, which, by the way, we'll get into details of that in a moment. But you're trying to handle all the household things and then also be there for your severely injured husband. Correct. And this is something that really eats at me, Jonna. We hear all the time in the news, especially in newspapers, they'll say the injuries, the officer's injuries are not life-threatening, and that's it. They never talk about the impact, or rarely do they talk about the impact to the survivors, other family members, what they're going through at the time. How would you describe what that was like? I'm honestly going to tell you, it was agonizing, you know, seeing your husband in pain and knowing you can't do anything for it. You can't make it better. You can't make it go away. It's agonizing. I'm not going to lie. And then what happens, unfortunately, we're fast forward just a little bit. There came a point where he came back home and quite often, especially with police officers and workers' compensation rules and reimbursement, they don't pay enough for in-home health care. So what happens quite often is a spouse becomes a primary care provider. Is that what happened with you? Yes, I was off roughly 50 days with Matthew having to make sure, you know, he was dressed, he was bathed because he had what they were called was wound vacs, which are kind of like vacuums to keep everything clean and everything, you know, the blood continuously pumping through and changing out fluids and everything. Those were on so he couldn't get in the shower, you know, without help. He couldn't do a lot of things, um, couldn't get dressed, couldn't tie his shoes, couldn't button his pants, things, normal things that require two hands. Things that we take for granted, and I can just speak from my own experience, having gone through multiple surgeries in my right hand, and I'm right-handed. It was quite a humbling experience realizing you couldn't do things like pull up your own zipper. And I, I was in my early 30s when I was presented with that with the first surgery. So I can only begin to imagine what it was like for Matthew saying, I can't do a lot of basic hygiene on my own without the help of someone else. Correct. And there's no way, you know, I would have let anyone else do that sort of things. I mean, that's just something that I felt was my job. You know, he's my husband. I need to take care of him. I need to do everything I can to make sure he's taken care of. And I hate to put it this way, Jonna, but along with that, you said you had to take off work for, well, almost two months. And during that time period, your husband Matthew is making the basic pay. He doesn't get overtime, doesn't get anything else. It must have been a heck of a financial hit for you and the family. It was because at the time I was on FMLA and wasn't getting paid. Um, it was rough, but I do have to admit the town here locally and some friends of ours did a fundraiser here and raised quite a bit to help me out through that time. And that's why, and part of the reason I, I, I've explained this, I see it quite often, injured officer, or injured firefighter, they're having a, a fundraiser or GoFundMe campaign, and you're like, why isn't there all their medical bills being taken care of? They are, but what's not being taken care of is the rest of the finances of her family. We're talking with Jonas Schoolfield, 
her husband, Police Sergeant Matthew Schoolfield, uh, severely injured when he was shot multiple times on a SWAT call out. This is Law Enforcement Today's show. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. John discovered a cool new app, and he just can't put it down because it has millions of great podcasts, including Law Enforcement Today. So now you can listen anytime, anywhere, and also chat with John. It's called Podopolo. It's free on either app store, so join John there. Follow Law Enforcement Today and DM John when you do. That's Podopolo. Download it now. This portion of the Law Enforcement Today radio show is brought to you in part by Pet Rescue Life Facebook page. Everyone's welcome at the Pet Rescue Life Facebook page, where you'll find fun, informative, and enjoyable posts daily. Purebred, mixed breeds, rescues, we love them all. Be sure to like the Pet Rescue Life Facebook page. Returning to our conversation with Jonna Schoolfield, calling us from Oklahoma. Uh, Jonna's husband, Matthew, Police Sergeant Matthew Schoolfield, uh, shot three times on a SWAT call out and left with serious debilitating long-term injuries. First of all, John, when did this incident occur? When was Matthew injured? September 17, 2017. So you're going on over two years now and you're still dealing with the physical after effects. Correct. We're not released medically from the doctor yet. We're still working on things that are slowly popping up here and there. Like what? Well, this last one, um, they had to do scans to make sure all the hardware was still in place because of his uh, pain level has increased. And thankfully, the scans show that everything's in place. It could be possibly that his nerves are trying to refire after the nerve surgery he had to replace them. Or it could be, you know a simple pain that he's never felt before. Also, they had to do a steroid shot in the elbow because he may have what's called tennis elbow starting to form now. And everybody think a tennis elbow is like, ah, it's not a big deal. Well, well, it's not a big deal if you never had it. (laughs) Uh, But to have it along with all the other injuries that he received, I can't begin to imagine the amount of pain. Oh, it's, it's pretty intense, but does he tell you? No, he just deals with it and Literally, he'll be out there with watching the kids play sports and watching them at their games and out there helping them do whatever he can. He It doesn't affect him. He deals with it. So he just tries to let, make sure that no one knows. Correct. You said earlier he's had, I think, nine total surgeries. Is that how much? Yeah, somewhere around there, nine to ten, yeah. And are they looking at the potential for more surgeries in the future? Thankfully, hopefully. Um, the last one he turned down and said no to so hopefully everything the doctor said should be coming to an end pretty soon so about how long was matthew at home recuperating and trying to uh find the, for lack of better words the new normal before he tried to return to work in a late duty capacity he returned to work on his year anniversary um so september 17 2018 he returned to work on light duty and that's admirable I can understand why he'd want to do that. I, I can understand that this is a big part of his life, and I'm sure it's a big part of your life as well, but for him, that's that's like a real brotherhood. It's like a real family, uh, the, the people you work with in law enforcement. And to be suddenly injured and not there, it's quite devastating. Correct. He 
wanted to return to work so badly, but then, you know, after being sent home now, as of April 24th of this year, um, now he's worried about, you know, brothers and sisters, what's going to happen to them, how they're going to be, you know, if everything, once they get called out on a call, he's worried, you know, that something's going to happen to them. Yeah, it's a constant worry of, you know, if everybody's going to be okay. So you said he did return to light duty capacity. The department made a position for him or or had one available for him to do for, let's say, roughly six months, six, seven months? Correct. And then what happened? They sent him home um, due to the contract. You can only be on light duty for six months. And if you're not off of it, then they send you home and they send him home. And now he just sits there hanging out at the house, taking care, making sure the kids are to school and everything. So he's home being Mr. Dad, you know, Mr. Correct. Dad, Mr. Mom, like the movie, whatever it might be. And, but his, his status is when you get sent home after light duty, it's not like go home, we'll pay you forever to be a police, but you're not going to be a police. What, what, this is where you get into legalities. What is his current situation? Currently, he's still employed. Um, he is on an extended leave of absence unpaid. He basically sits at home, and if it wasn't for his vacation time and TTD that he does get, which is total temporary disability, if it wasn't for those two things and his vacation time and stuff, we wouldn't have, you know, insurance. He still wouldn't be putting things towards his pension. I mean, if it wasn't for those vacation times and everything, our insurance would be gone. So you say he's still employed, but he's not receiving his full pay. And he's relying on vacation, other things he's he's earned, and he's got disability. But that's that's a temporary. Is that what you called it? TTD. It's total temporary disability. It's only like I think forty to sixty percent of your salary, and that's it, which is nowhere near enough to take care of a family of five. No, and it this could run out. Correct. But if how? If I'm not mistaken, it does run out um, once he gets to medical you know basically where the doctor says okay i think we're done you know and we're done medically i think it does stop well we just had the last appointment and he talked about well we're not going to have the next surgery and there may be no more surgeries so you're probably rapidly reaching that point of being medically discharged well i know he has one more appointment next month and then we get i guess we see what happens after that this is the part that i don't think a lot of people understand the gravity of the situation he's home through no fault of his own he did his job he did what he was trained to do he put his life on the line and he was shot three times and and now basically he's at home in limbo and making about 50 percent of his pay which is a huge huge cut and not knowing whether he's going to have any type of stability in the future with the retirement am i over exaggerating this no, you're absolutely 100% correct. Is there any guarantees? Are there any contractual guarantees with the department, the agency? And I don't want to call them out. Listen, I don't want people to get the wrong idea. When I talk about police departments, they always say this. And they told us when we were young rookies that if something happens to you, we got your back. We'll take care of you and your family. And what we really found out was two things. Number one, that really means if you're killed in line of duty. If you're injured... It's a different situation, and they will do everything they can to try to help you, but once it gets into the city or the county government's hands or the state government's hands, it's a totally different 
scenario and then you got accountants and lawyers involved and yep. it's like you don't matter. Exactly. We were told, um, I was told that twice by once, um, I definitely won't say names, but definitely twice two people came and told us that we would be taken care of no matter what, our family would be taken care of. As a matter of fact, I can recall a conversation in Matt's room on the fifth floor at OU Medical Center with one person in the room with us only and saying, you will always have a job with the city of Chickasha. And Matthew told him, I'm not worried about my job. I know I will always have a job. I'm not worried about that. I'm worried about my family being taken care of financially while I can't work. And once again, they said, your family will be taken care of always for you putting your life on the line. Hmm. That's not the case. I promise you that is not what happened. And as of April of this year, that has proved not to be true. Uh, exactly. And this is where I, I really, really don't want to come off as a heavy with uh, the police department and the, the people involved because it's so much is above and beyond what they can do. But there's really no polite way of saying this, that doesn't matter what department you're in. If you're in a smaller department and you don't have the bonding arbitration of FOPs and PBAs and the big organizations, the big groups and the labor unions that you always hear about in the news, when these things occur, and they do occur quite often, the officer involved, the injured officer involved and his family were literally can be left with absolutely nothing. Correct. And I don't know how you deal with that kind of fear. We're going to take a short break. We're talking with Jonna Schoolfield, her husband, Police Sergeant Matthew Schoolfield, was shot three times on a SWAT call-out and has left with severe, lifelong injuries. This is the Law Enforcement Day Show. We'll take a short break. We'll be right back. Ever miss an episode of the Law Enforcement Today radio show? Never fear. You can sign up for our free email newsletter and get access to past podcast episodes. Plus, all subscribers are automatically entered in all future contests. Sign up at letradioshow.com. Scroll down to the sign-up area. That's letradioshow.com. We promise we will never spam you. Sign up at letradioshow.com. We're all over social media. Be sure to like and follow our Facebook page, Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. We're on Twitter. Follow us at LET Radio Show Podcast. And on Instagram, look for LET Radio Show Podcast. Of course, don't forget our website, letradioshow.com. See you there. John J. Wiley joined by Jonna Schoolfield, calling us from Oklahoma. And your, your husband, Police Sergeant Matthew Schoolfield, was a member of the Chickasha, Oklahoma Police Department, correct? Correct. And he's still technically a police sergeant with them. Correct. But he's not being paid by the city. That is absolutely correct. That just rubs me wrong. There's really no polite way of saying this. When someone under your command... As a sergeant, that's I had the same rank as your husband. Yeah. I always felt very, very responsible for my coworkers and my subordinate officers, and would do anything I could to protect them. 
because we held them to a pretty high standard for for what we expected them to do and the way we expected them to do it. But we would do everything we could to try to take care of them. And then to find out when one is severely injured like your husband is, that there's really not a lot they can do, is there? No. The guys, I do have to admit, the guys at the police department are doing everything they can. The, you know, his fellow brothers and sisters, they are absolutely 100% doing everything they can for us. It's the higher up, it's the administration. Let's talk about police chiefs and those type people? Correct. Yeah, and quite often they seem to forget what it's like to be on the streets. Exactly. They're taking their orders from... Uh, the, the the city government and their accountants and their lawyers and their policies and their guidelines as well. I don't want to get the impression that I'm giving them a free pass because I'm not. I understand the predicament they're in, but I also understand they have an obligation to take care of their subordinate officers, and that's not being done in your case, is it? No, not at all. So earlier we talked about for the break, you're looking at a scenario where uh, you literally, you and your family could lose everything. I could lose my house, I could lose my vehicles, I could lose everything, even down to the land that my house sits on. For for no fault of your own? Correct. For someone else's stupid mistake because they decide to, you know, start shooting through the walls at police officers. And this guy, by the way, uh, and I don't believe in giving them any publicity whatsoever, made a deliberate act that he had sexually assaulted someone he had harmed that person. This was not his first brush with the law, from what I understand. And he decided that he was going to prepare and fire upon police officers when he came to apprehend them. Correct. And what happened with him? Is he in prison now? Um, He got, for 10 counts, he got life on every count and will spend the rest of his life in prison. And that means it's going to have a yearly cost to keep this person incarcerated and uh, fed and, and medical care and everything else. In the meantime, you and your family are stuck where you may not get the same con- kind of financial consideration. No, um, there could be times, you know, <laughs> hope, God forbid that it does happen, but, you know, I could struggle feeding my children. Um, I could struggle taking care of losing, you know, everything I have. How do you deal with that? With that kind, of, I'll be honest with you, John. There's not a whole lot of things that really worry me to the point where I lose sleep. But one of them is fear of financial insecurity. When I get to the point where I'm thinking I can't pay my bills, my mind goes automatically to I'll be homeless, sitting on someone's porch, bumming food. Well, I will be honest with you. I am a very independent person, and I will tell you this: if it means not only do I work 40 hours a week, if it means I have to work when I come home until you know dawn i will um if it means i have to take away from my family time and work on my weekends just to make ends meet or try to make ends meet so be it i will that's admirable and that that takes a lot of courage and takes a lot of determination i would love to say that you're unique but i've I've met so many police spouses across the united states that are the same kind of person as you and we didn't start off that way. Somehow along the lines, you become very independent, you become very self-sufficient, and it's like, okay, if life ended today for my spouse, which is something we all had to learn to deal with, how do I continue on? 
and obviously that's something that you have considered and found a way to, to find a motivation to keep moving forward. Oh, yeah. If you don't look at the bright side that, hey, you know, Matt's still here. I have to move forward. I have to keep things going. I have to keep things, you know, upbeat or else he's going to his, oh, I don't know how you would say it, his self-esteem is going to drop, you know. You have to keep positive. Plus, you have children. You have to keep their lives as normal as possible. And so you have to keep going. Plus, I have a mother-in-law who counts on me to keep her son happy. So. A lot of pressure. That's, mm-hmm. And then we have the, I don't know how it is in Oklahoma, but in other parts of the United States, constantly in social media and the news, national news, it's this constant anti-police agenda. And have you experienced that in regards to your husband being shot? No, I have um, one of the suspects that was in the detached garage. His mother did happen to send me a Facebook message and wasn't very nice about it. But, you know, I have to ignore things. You That is one part of being a police officer's life. You do have to ignore things and you have to let things go one ear and out the other. Yeah, you develop very thick skin. Is there something that you would like America to know this is your opportunity to tell America something they don't know about what police and police families go through, especially when there's a severe injury involved. What would that be? Trust me when I say that it's agonizing because you never know and you are never promised tomorrow. I mean, my husband left and I almost didn't ever get to see him again. It is agonizing, I promise you. And how they say that they are there for you, that is not true. It is in the beginning. Once you go home, it is done. You are just another number to them. When you say them, you're referring to the city and the command staff. Correct. Not so much the officers you work with. It's a different scenario with them. Correct. They do anything. They would do anything to try to help and and alleviate what you're going through. And they're only human. They can only do what they can do as well. Right. And are they still part of your, your life and trying to help you and your husband and family? Oh, yes. Um, matter of fact, the SOP president, who is one of the fellow officers, he, um, matter of fact, I just got off the phone with him maybe about a couple hours ago. He still contacts me. Matter of fact, I talked to him last night. My son plays on a co-ed softball team with him. So, oh, yeah. They still are very much a part of our lives. What's the long-term prognosis for your husband Matthew's physical recovery? Um, pretty much long-term recovery. It's almost over, thankfully. Long-term, he will never be able to be a police officer again, at least is what I was told by doctors and in the courtroom during court. So, you know, his hand will never work, never be able to hold a gun, pull the trigger and everything at the same time, and never be able to function like it did. And how is he dealing with that? I mean, you're the closest person to him. You see what's going on, and I'm sure he verbalizes even a little bit in private. How is he dealing with that? There are days, I'm not going to lie, that it gets hard, um, especially whenever he can't open something or, you know, stuff like that. It does get to be a struggle, but other than that, his military training has taught him to show no emotion, no feelings. So there are days that he's very good at hiding it, I'm not going to lie, but you can read through him and see that it it's a struggle. He does say a lot of times that he's a failure, that he doesn't want to let his family down, and 
you know, wants to be there for us and take care of us and that he doesn't know how he's going to do it. But I always just look at him and tell him, don't worry, we're going to get through this. I will take care of it. You know I will. And the million-dollar question, uh, when will you find out his final status, retirement or otherwise? Um, It should be here. I'm going to kind of guesstimate, hopefully, within the next couple of months. And I'm hoping and I'm praying that it's a, a full retirement, a full line of duty pension, whatever terminology you use in Oklahoma. Even when that happens, I thought my case I'd be in easy street, and but life is still very difficult. And I want to extend to you and your husband uh, the invitation to come back on our show anytime and talk about what's going on with you. All right. Thank you. It's very much appreciated. John Schofield, thanks so much for telling your story in the Law Enforcement Today show. Thank you. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today radio show. The Law Enforcement Today radio show is a nationally syndicated radio show broadcast on numerous stations once a week and growing. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, please do me a big favor. Tell a friend. I'll be back in just a couple days with a brand new episode of the Law Enforcement Today radio show and podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya.